0: Hello there, welcome to Biblical Chili. Now listen, the cruise is just about to start, but let me fill you in on a few details if you've never been here before. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ, and it's our continuing prayer that we help you grow closer to Jesus every day. Now, you might be wondering why it's called Biblical Chili. You see, around this table we have people from all walks of life, different histories, backgrounds, different futures even different religious views. But even with all these differences, that shouldn't hinder us from carrying on a conversation. And you stepped in at a good time, too, because the chili crew is walking through the Bible from cover to cover. And right now, they're in the book of Exodus. Moses talking to a burning bush, plagues, Exodus out of slavery, and the Ten Commandments. Woo, this gives me the collie was just thinking about it.
1: All right, last time we left off in Exodus chapter 35 and kind of left off on a cliffhanger. Well, not much of a cliffhanger. It wasn't really dramatic, but uh, God basically was just calling out some artisans. We covered how God gave these artisans, basically the the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit to be able to do this type of artisan work, which is very interesting because you don't hear that very often of people you know, like you don't hear a pastor saying, you know, people's wonderful artisan work they can use for the glory of God. But apparently here in this in this situation, God was going to use their use their skills. Um, so, yeah, without any further ado, let's, let's go ahead and get going.
2: All right. I'll be using the NLT today. Starting with chapter 36, verse one. The Lord has gifted Bezel. Oh, i and the other skilled craftsmen with wisdom and the ability to, to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary let them construct and furnish the tabernacle just as the lord has commanded so moses summoned Bezalel and holyhab and all the others who were specially gifted by the lord and were eager to get to work Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as secret offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work. They went to Moses and reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job (laughs) the Lord has (laughs) commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp: men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary.
1: Stop! <laughs> we had <have> enough.
2: <laughs> Thank you, though, for giving out of the pureness of your heart. That was Adlib, by the way. I was gonna so say, people a, stopped I think a bit. <laughs> their sacred <laughs> offerings; their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project.
1: Mine says, uh, verse 7 for mine was, For the material they had was sufficient for all the work that was needed. Indeed, too much. I, I've actually heard stories of, uh, but they, this was back, obviously this was back in like the pilgrim days, or, you know, and, and stuff like that when they were establishing towns out west kind of thing where people wanted a church in a town and they would do stuff like this. They would all band together and they would just... I mean, they would just go at it and bring lumber and bring bring help and bring all the nails they needed and just bring all the shingles and build up the whole church. But yeah, I've I've heard stories of of that happening, like on the on the old out west, where they wanted to establish a town and they wanted a a church or they wanted a schoolhouse or something like that, and it just everybody banded together, didn't think anything of it, and just took a couple weeks and did it. And I don't know. It, although it, I. To me it kind of saddens me when i hear this this kind of thing because it's it's like imagine if the church body had that attitude today like all churches today had that kind of attitude i mean imagine that if not just not just in material stuff but in like willingness to go out and volunteer and do what needed to be done I guess, imagine if the church, as, as a whole, not necessarily specific churches, but just as a whole, did that. How different would things be?
2: Right. Imagine how different things would be if people in general were just like that. From the richest to the poorest.
1: Yeah. And and that's a, that's actually a good point, Antonio. Like, Take it out of the realm of the church, just in general, if we were like that. Hey, this, this project needs to be done for the community. Or, the, hey, this project needs to be done. Hey, somebody needs help. Play the devil's advocate here. Are they just doing this because of everything that just happened in the previous chapters? Or do you think that these are the people that during the whole golden calf incident didn't bow down to the calf and they were the ones that had the heart of God in them?
2: Or could it be uh, repented? Oh,
1: yeah. Third option.
2: Uh, Born again, new heart.
1: That's true. They they've already been through quite a bit right now. They've all been. I mean, go just listen to the other chapters. there. are <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so much. That's right. To go up and
2: down. You know, God is patient.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't
2: know. Don't deserve to go to heaven.
1: I, I what did I I just, I? I just heard it today. Somebody was saying something something to the effect of, "Uh, you know that, you know that God's merciful because of all the stuff we do to our bodies." you know, like not taking care of it or doing this or doing that. Or some people, you know, they might, you know, abuse a substance or something like that. Like all the things that we do to our bodies and yet we're still alive. That's just goes to show you like the mercy of God here. And, and it just, I don't know. I heard somebody say that. I'm
2: like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Someday i all going to look back and say, I thought that tasted great. That's what that did to me. You know, that's what that did to me. <laughs>
3: God has to be the perfect blend of you know mix of mercy and judgment because if he was all mercy then we would all do whatever we want and we would all have you know self destructed a long time ago because you know there'd be no consequence not no consequences for anything so people would just murder everyone or just make all these things and you know we would not last but then if you saw judgment or wrath then you couldn't even do the littlest thing cuz you know you'd be struck by a lightning bolt so it's like his you know his perfect formula for
2: that right who was it that said I think it was in God's not dead it said something along those lines that you said Susanna and they were quoting maybe a theologian perhaps but a wise man if there was no God or no higher power to answer to then there would be no reason for laws. You would have no reason to behave or have morality,
1: isn't that the ironic thing though about perfect mercy, perfect love is if you if you like I guess put it all together into one pot, you'd basically have to say just that God is just because that to be just and fair is the perfect blend of just that mercy, yet at the same time upholding the law, yet at the same time love. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, I don't know. I've, I've, I've heard too many conversations of that when, when people, I guess, are trying to discredit God and say, why would God do this? Why would God do that? And yet at the same time, they don't think about what justice actually entails. Even in this society, we only allow so much to happen before justice has to come in. And, and, and step in and, and do something about it.
2: We are at the verse 8. The skilled craftsman made ten curtains of finely woven linen of the tabernacle. Then, Bazaliel decorated the curtains with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and was skillfully embroidered cherubim. Cherubim. Yes. I am kind of confused there. How do you skillfully embroidered cherubim?
1: On the, on the linen. So he yeah, embroidered.
3: like stitch it on. Yeah. Like you okay. use All thread right. fabric and you make the image with the thread.
2: You know, I, I this got me thinking. I don't know why I didn't think about this before. But they had to carve. They had to also embroider uh, what we call angels today, basically. Yeah. They knew what angels looked like. Or did they have to use their imagination? You know, I
1: don't know because they actually don't describe them. Angel, there, there's a a description for angels really hasn't been given until what Isaiah in scripture?
2: Yeah, Isaiah probably maybe even yeah. Daniel describes Gabriel, doesn't he? A little bit.
1: No, he just says Gabriel came. And Gabriel really? spoke to me. Hmm. Well, I'd, I'd have to double check that, but I don't. I don't think he gives like a, a full description. <laughs> yeah, obviously, the the angels had to have looked like normal folks, and I only I only say that because he all throughout Scripture, at least up to this point in Scripture, all throughout Genesis and so far up through Exodus, angels are just considered either really bright, or they're considered. To be like human because they don't really give a, a, an alternate description because you know, consider it like a normal thing, I guess. I don't know.
2: Yeah, they did That's a great as question. As the Lord was walking with two men who were angels. Right. Or something like that. Not to be an exact quote, but that's i talking about Abraham and uh when, or is it Abram? Abram. Was he Abraham yet? Well, yeah. I when the know. three angels came to, and they told him about uh, what is the Sodom and Kadamara, and then uh, also told him that uh, this time next year or or whenever it is, uh, sh- she will be with uh, life. You know, she'll be pregnant. And then she laughed. That,
1: oh, that whole thing. Yeah, I think yeah. he was. No, I think he was Abraham at that point, because the covenant was made already. Yeah.
2: Okay. All right. So. Continuing on, that that was just a thought that I had out of the blue. No, that's a good point. All ten curtains were exactly the same size, 42 feet long and 6 feet wide. Five of these curtains were joined together to make one long curtain, and the other five were joined to make a second long curtain. He made 50 loops of blue yarn and put them along the edge of the last curtain each set. The 50 loops along the edge of the curtain matched the 50 loops along the edge of the other curtain. Then he made 50 goat clasps and fastened the long curtains together with the clasp. In this way, the tabernacle was made of one continuous piece. He made 11 curtains of goat hair cloth to serve as a tent covering for the tabernacle. 11 curtains were all exactly the same size, 45 feet long and 6 feet wide. Bazel joined five of these curtains together to make one long curtain and the other six were joined to make a second long curtain. He made 50 lutes for the edge of each large curtain. He also made 50 bronze clasps to fasten the long curtains together. In this way, the tent covering was made of one continuous piece. He completed the tent covering with a layer of tanned ram skins and a layer of fine goatskin leather. For the framework of the tabernacle, Bazalil constructed frames of acacia wood. Each frame was 15 feet high and 27 inches wide. two pegs under each frame all the frames were identical he made 20 of these frames to support the curtains of the south side of the tabernacle he also made 40 silver bases two bases under each frame with pegs fitting securely into the bases for the north side of the tabernacle he made another 20 frames with their 40 silver bases two bases under each frame he made six frames for the rear the west of the the tabernacle along with additional frames to reinforce the rear corners of the tabernacle these corners were frames were matched at the bottom and firmly attached to the top with a single ring forming a single corner unit both of these corner units were made the same way so there were eight frames at the rear of the tabernacle set in 16 silver bases two bases under each frame
1: whoo okay why is god getting so specific here or moses was on god's behalf why why was he getting so specific about how they built it
2: because god said this is how you're going to build it and it's the only way you're going to build it
1: (laughs) god was real specific
2: yes (laughs) it doesn't work if it's built any other way right right it's like a science project. You have to do the science to the letter. It's like, you know, an engine. If the engine is built incorrectly, it's not going to work properly. If you have the stage set incorrectly, one person is going to be falling through the floor when they should be flying.
1: <laughs> I, I, my, my church is, is going through a walk in the Bible. And so it's it's actually pretty cool where it's like we read the church. The whole church reads like these 16 chapters or it's about 15, 16 chapters each week. And then on Sabbath day, pastor or whoever's preaching that that week, I, I preached a few weeks ago, too. So um, it's whoever's preaching that week covers a message that they found inside those few chapters. Right. OK, so I'm going through it. And as we're going through it, right. I didn't think about this until right now. I just got to a part where King David just got the Ark back from, I think it was Obed who held on the Ark for the Ark of the Covenant for a long time. The Ark that they're building here, like very, very soon. And then the next very next chapter, they're building it now. It You know, the Philistines took it and there was a huge hubbub about all that. And the Philistines finally came back to Israel. But then Israel, you know, somebody died because he touched it, Right. And then, so the Ark state in Obed's land or Obed's property or whatever you want to call it. Something very interesting that I have never caught until now going through Exodus so deeply with you guys is it actually states that when David went out, did what he was supposed to do, carry the Ark in the right way back to the land, back to his town, you know, the city of David, right? They... Right, this, was it the city of David or Jerusalem? I, I don't remember. Anyway, so the, he, he brought it back. It says in there, it's just a short little verse, but it says, and they brought the ark to the tabernacle that David built. So I think these blueprints are so specific because I think God knew that there would be points in Jerusalem's, or I'm sorry, in Israel's experience that they would have to rebuild the tabernacle. Because the only thing that was never rebuilt was, this is, I'm not a historian, okay? (laughs) But as far as I'm aware, the things that were never rebuilt were the temple furniture, which would include the Ark of the Covenant. But the tabernacle itself had been rebuilt multiple times until, you know, King Solomon built, I believe, the first official temple. So I think that's why, at least one reason, not, not, the reason, but I think that's why God's getting so specific in, it was this, it was this, made out of this, made out of this, you know, set up this way, they carved it this way, there were so many of them, and they were set in this manner. And I think that's why, at least that's my theory as as to one of the reasons why, Not maybe not the reason why, but, Susanna, did you have one?
3: Yeah, um, completely opposite of that. (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh,
2: maybe
1: maybe i'm way off
3: (laughs) i mean not necessarily i don't know just like when i when i read this and so you like you ask the question like why so specific because what's the purpose of the tabernacle i mean it's like okay that's god's dwelling place right but but god doesn't only dwell there like it says in psalms you know if you go up to heaven he's there if you descend to sheol he's there if you go to the you know most remote part of the of the sea or whatever, he's there. You yeah, know, he's, the he's, of the sea, he's yeah. literally everywhere. You cannot escape him or his spirit or his presence anywhere. So he doesn't need, he doesn't need a fancy house to dwell in. You know, he doesn't need this dwelling so that he can be with them when they're being carried. You know, they don't need to carry him around the wilderness because he's literally everywhere. You know, so like God doesn't need this. Clearly, he doesn't need anything, but. I think that it's just, I mean, ultimately. Right, so are you saying it's for Israel's sake? Yes. So I'm saying that, you know, ultimately we're the temple of God's spirit. That's his goal. Like he wants to dwell as intimately with us as if he was dwelling inside of our bodies and giving all those rules, you know, it's, it's more like this lesson that he's teaching, you know, what are we supposed to do? They're putting all this effort And all this, they're taking the entire group of people and they're putting, they're being filled with the spirit to create these beautiful things and, you know, giving everything they had for the temple of God. And that's the body, that's like us, we're the body of Christ, you know, so we should be putting everything we have, all of our resources, all of our love into each other. And, and how important that is. And I'm sure each piece of that, though, again, I'm not sure, okay? I shouldn't say that because I'm not. This is just my theory. <laughs> but <laughs> each piece of that means something and it teaches them something for their sake as to how that's how that's applied in real life. You know, like, what does that mean, you know, to have the, the angels, you know, the cherubim carved in our innermost being? What does that mean? You know, like, how does that, how does that apply and how does you know, his spirit going with us everywhere that we go and certain parts of it having more power than others or, you know, different things. Like, what does that mean within us? We know that God does not need the temple. You know, he's everywhere. So he doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. So we don't, it's not this, like you literally have to go through this thing and you have to have this priest. You have to do it this way to go in and approach him. That's, that's not even what the Bible says. So clearly if that's what he's teaching them to do in that instance, it's because he's trying to teach them something for their sake because, you know, he can approach us anywhere and, you know, we can't escape him anywhere. So, you know, we don't, he loves us when we're still sinners and he's amongst us when we're still sinners. So, you know, right. what is he trying to, what is he trying to teach them?
1: Well, Even, even <laughs> later on, Susanna, just to, to couple with that, even later on, scripture says that even the blood of bulls and goats are not going to be able to forgive you your, or not be able to forgive your sins or something like that. Like it actually.
3: And they never did. So they did all that stuff year after year. and it, Day after day. The point, Yeah, day after day. It didn't take away their sin then either, you know? So it's like, what was the, it was clearly teaching them something for their sake to learn. I mean, I feel like we're very anti-ritual and we think all that stuff is so weird. But, you know, we do things every day. We're like, okay, I'm going to put a little sticker on my wallet. So when I go, because I want to buy this thing, I see it. And then I don't buy it, you know, like there are things that we do because they are physical reminders and teachers like to, to help us because, you know, God knows us. He created us and that's how we learn and that's how we do things. So, of course, his instructions to hit the, them would be physical daily things that we should do every day repetitively to teach us something. Uh,
2: one last thing I'd like to add to why God is so um, fictitious. Is that it? No, that's not it. Uh... Like
1: specific with these
2: yeah, specific, I guess, is a word for it. I was looking for something more intelligent, but I'm feeling it at the moment.
1: I guess I fell short that one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. It it goes into great detail, does it not?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So many, okay, so many pieces so- of silver. So many. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, let's say if anybody tried to duplicate this and claim originality they like say they tried to duplicate the uh, Ark of the Covenant or the veil or the curtains that we're seeing here. Guess where we can go to to look at and see if uh, it's if, anything if close or if it's the real deal or if it's you know a fraud. We can go here yeah. and find every specific detail, measurement, color, design, everything.
1: You know, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Because I'm, I I only say that because if we look at today, what do you guys know? Um, who is it? They they I say they, the, those who who are very antagonistic against Scripture, they always try to say like the Babylonian script was w- written way before the Scripture was, or they say like the uh, Mediterranean something or other faith system was written way before the Bible was, so that. You know, and the Bible just copied those creation accounts. You know what I mean? Like those type of things. So that's a relevant point, Antonio, because God was being very specific to say, this is my place. This is my... Archaeologists have
2: used the Bible to look for places in the past many Mm -hmm. times.
3: (laughs) I I feel like if they're saying that the Bible is just copying older
2: religious
3: texts, well, then that just seems to validate it even more if people in other cultures and people in other places have some of the similar like creation stories and similar like, flood like counts, that's where i feel like the flood, yeah everything. yeah see that's where i feel like and i've actually had this conversation with a lot of people i'm sure that they're obviously just in our own religion there's some things that are like eh, and there's some things that are like yes some like these ancient ones have it too where we get all caught up on these names like we'll read let's say there's like this super ancient creation story that like sounds so much like the one in the bible and people will be like oh well that's just a false religion a counterfeit one like not true it's like well why couldn't they also have been shown by god like if they have a story that's the same but let's say they call god the big man in the sky you know because they're like native americans or something like they didn't know yeah yeah like do you think that they're wrong or they just why don't we look at what we all have in common and see like wow that's amazing that there are stuff even older than what's written in our scriptures that lines up because god is like so much bigger than the book that we have you know he's so much bigger than that like and it's amazing and instead we just want to like divide ourselves and like look at all the things we have different instead of looking at you know what we share and
1: it's, a, it's always an us and them thing. And that, that's a good point, though, Susanna, because there's over, over by the way, well over 330 flood legends that globally, right. globally, there's over 300 and some flood legends. And something like 60 or 70 of them match up with a scriptural one, almost to a T. Eight people in a giant canoe type of thing. And the great volcano told them to do this and they filled it, (laughs) you know, they filled it with, you know, animals and, and food and it's, huh, this seems, and they always, they always start, almost all of them start with the world was a wicked place and the gods were angry. Right. And so the gods spoke with somebody to build some sort of floating thing and fill it with food and stuff. Like they're all the same thing outside of some of the minor details, but I just, yeah, sorry. I, I told you I was excited about the flood story. <laughs> so, yeah. So what we else does back. that
2: sound like to you? The gods told uh, them to build a boat because there was a big disaster coming. What else does that sound right. like? Right. Maybe, you know, maybe. <clears throat> uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: no. <laughs> now we're going to UAPs. <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is for another discussion.
2: All right, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, Continuing on with uh, chapter 36 of Exodus, verse 31. Then he made crossbars of acacia wood to link the frames. Five crossbars for the north side of the tabernacle and five for the south side. He also made five crossbars for the rear of the tabernacle with faced west. He made the middle crossbars to attach halfway of the frames. It ran all the way from one end of the tabernacle. To the other. He overlaid the frames with gold and made gold rings to hold the crossbars. Then he overlaid the crossbars with gold as well. For the inside of the tabernacle, Bezaliel made a special curtain of finely woven linen. He decorated with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. For the curtain, he made four posts of acacia wood and four gold books. He overlaid the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases, 37. Then he made another curtain for the entrance to the sacred tent. He made it finely woven, lidded, and embroidered it with exquisite designs using blue, purple, and scarlet thread. This curtain was hung on gold hooks attached to five posts. The posts with their decorated tops and hooks were overlaid with gold, and the five bases were cast from bronze.
1: God was very specific with this. When Solomon built his temple for God, what did... Or where did he get the instructions for that?
3: Did he get instructions, or did he just say... I want to build you a house. This
2: is
1: what I'm asking. I'm going back to King's because I'm trying to. You King David? No, 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 no. King David didn't. Uh, his son Solomon.
2: Or, or did Solomon get the instructions for the temple? Right. That's your question.
1: Yes, because as far as I'm aware, there's only... In Solomon's temple, there were there were only two curtains because it was built out of marble and stone and... And, uh, what was it? Um, Lebanese, <clears throat> or uh, what's that? What's that wood? Acacia. No, no, he no, built it out of, one. no, he built it out of cedar. That's what it was. Cedar okay. out, out of Lebanon, Lebanon cedar trees. So like giant, giant cedar trees. Uh, I think for the cross pieces for the, for the stone temple. So that's my question though, is do you remember... If Solomon was given instructions, I don't remember him giving instructions. I remember King David wanted
2: to build one, and he had made plans.
1: Yes, he did.
2: That's right. Didn't he get those plans from Samuel? I don't know.
1: I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to derail us on this one, but it just it.
3: Yeah, as far as I remember, he just wanted to build God a house. You know that
2: was. Yeah, and Samuel full said you're not you're never going to build that... God the house because you're a lawyer. You're a yeah, he said you're a
3: man of blood,
1: and God told him absolutely not, David. You're not going to do this. David, you are absolutely correct. And the winner goes to, yep, King David gave Solomon the pattern, quote unquote, pattern of the temple. Uh, this pattern was the design that David himself intended to use to build the temple. David made it clear to Solomon was to use the same pattern that David wished to use. So it was like his dad's last wish. Although Solomon would perform the actual construction of the temple, uh, it would be designed by David David's intent. So wow, so he was. So he would have been so obsessed with the temple at the end of his life that he probably made all the blueprints. All together because by that point, we also
2: made little miniature models of it too.
1: Oh, I can't, I can't build the real thing, so
2: I'll leave a four dimensional design for my son to do it.
1: Uh, first chronicles 28 11 and 12, first chronicles 28, 11 and 12. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord. Oh, wow. And the plans for all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers around, of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. Wow, so yeah, the Holy Spirit apparently gave him the gift of blueprinting. Or architecture. I don't know what you would call that, because he couldn't he couldn't well, build the both. real thing.
2: You have to have, you have to know the blueprints in order to do architecture.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I was just thinking. Okay, so
2: do you? So you wa- didn't get it from Samuel. No,
1: nope, no. Nope. Do you remember when Jesus died? What happened to the veil?
2: It rent. It was torn.
1: Yep. A... It was torn from top to bottom, right in, right in two. Right.
2: Yep. Right in front of the priest too.
1: Yeah, because it says that they freaked out. They they, mm-hmm. you they know, went, went haywire. Yeah. So, with. Them or with that veil being torn, that veil, if I remember correctly, was not like this. This one is just like a standard, you know, probably half inch curtain, like a thick blackout style curtain. It's probably just a heavy duty curtain. Uh, but the one in the tabernacle, I've heard that it was possibly up to a foot thick curtain. Like it was heavy, heavy, heavy duty curtain. Because the only one, I mean, I mean, the one that went into the inner sanctum, the holy of holy place, not, you know, the outer courts or anything like that. None of that kind of stuff. So it like,
2: was more strong than a phone book.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was heavy duty. So I'm just saying I bring that up because we're talking about curtains, this and curtains, that and the enter curtain and the other curtain. And it just got me thinking, wow. So after all this was said and done, the tabernacle was done away with, more or less. And after Solomon built his temple. Where do they go from there? But apparently God stepped in and gave them blueprints for that also. See, now this is Bible study, baby. (laughs) 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 Dig it, dig it.
2: wild.
1: All right. I guess I will end in a word of prayer. Dear heavenly father, we thank you for this time again to be able to come together freely and do this. And uh, get your holy word out to maybe those who may not uh, be able to have access to it. Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that uh, your word will always be cherished in our hearts and in our minds. And I pray also, Lord, that you please continue to use us and to be able to share what we've read here today. We love you and we thank you in your heavenly name. Amen. Well, this has been Justin.
2: This has been Antonio.
1: This is Susanna. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Until next time. (laughs) 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 Bye. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> it's always that awkward silence at the end. Now
0: listen, just because this is the end of the episode doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. You can find Biblical Chili on almost any social media outlet. And if you're not a big fan of YouTube, just search for Biblical Chili anywhere and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Or just go to biblicalchili.com. Now until we meet again, remember be part of the conversation goodbye
2: i just read the king James version again let me do that in one again You <laughs> you cross over it's in the same page <laughs> <laughs> it's right next to each other i'm dyslexic so give me alone little... that's
1: all right that's all right
2: <laughs> okay
0: do you think they're still listening I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most of them probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few. We love you.